On episode 322 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn how to prevent injuries and strengthen your body with Kayla Fujimoto Epperson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Really appreciate you listening in. And today we have a very insightful interview with Kayla Fujimoto Epperson. Kayla is a physical therapist. She also has her doctor of physical therapy, and she is a certified strength and conditioning specialist. I first caught wind of her actually on Instagram because she has a lot of great content on there. And she is the owner of the Athlete Connection since June of 2020. She is also a former Division I tennis player at Indiana University. And some one thing that's really cool with Kayla is that she trains Jennifer Brady, who just recently got to the semifinals of the doubles at the U.S. Open, as well as a third round of singles there. And Jennifer Brady, I believe, was like top 15 in singles and top 15 doubles at, at one point. And she underwent um, some injuries and Kayla worked and is still working with her really hard to get her in uh, tip-top shape. And uh, the comeback has been great, as you know. I just mentioned Jennifer's results. So uh, really great stuff there. Uh, Kayla also completed a Kovacs Institute Tennis Serve Biomechanics Fellowship with uh, you know, one of my favorites, Dr. Mark Kovacs. So she has a lot of great background and insight, obviously, on the topic at hand today, which is just how to help you with your longevity in the sport, how to feel better on the court and perform better on the court. So I'm really excited for this interview, um, for you to listen to it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Kayla Fujimoto Epperson. Hey everybody, welcome to this special episode of the podcast. Really a pleasure to have on Kayla Fujimoto Epperson uh, on the show. Definitely really excited to get this one started because um, obviously you have a lot of great experience, Kayla, regarding, um, you know, injuries and and um, just physical therapy in general for specifically for tennis players. So uh, welcome to the show. And how are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Um, just came back from the U.S. Open and had an awesome experience there and enjoying some time at home right now for a little bit. Cool, cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Uh, My first question for you, uh, I think this is super cool and not really tennis related at all, but I read that you're a puppy raiser for leader dogs for the blind. So I was wondering how you got into that and like uh, how that's been. That's pretty cool. Yeah. um, Yeah. That's like a little fun fact. So my family started, um, became involved with leader dogs for the blind, which is a nonprofit organization in Michigan when I was like in grade school. And so what we would do is like, we would get a puppy and then keep the puppy for like a year and just raise them and socialize them and prepare them 
um, for becoming a, like a seeing eye dog. And so we did that like throughout my whole like childhood growing up. And then my husband and I did it, um, when we were first married and, uh, our first dog that we raised, they actually pulled her for breed stock. So like they wanted to breed her. So we had three litters of puppies with her and they all went through the seeing eye dog program. So it's been a really cool experience to see them working and things like later on. Wow. That, that's really cool. I love dogs. So, uh, just <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I always am really interested in seeing how people get into, uh, into tennis. And so I see you're, you're also a great player as well and you play D1 and, and whatnot, but like, how did you get your, uh, your start in tennis, like your early days? How'd that work? Yeah, I think like I started playing when I was probably around three years old. My parents just introduced me to the sport. I played a ton of sports growing up as a kid. Um, but tennis is just what stuck with me. Like I played other, you know, team sports and soccer, and then swimming, gymnastics, kind of tried it all. Um, but by the time I was like 10 years old, like I went all in on tennis and really enjoyed it and was fortunate enough to be able to play, you know, junior competitive tennis and high school and then play in college. And I had an amazing experience when I played at Indiana and, um, I still like to get around and play every now and then now too. So <laughs> it's been a, a cool journey with it and meeting so many people through the sport too. Awesome. And and we'll talk about, you know, Jen, obviously uh, later on Jen Brady, but like, do you, uh, do you like hit with her sometimes or? <laughs> so when I first started working with her, like we hit a couple times and then, um, you know, she was like, Oh, you can maybe like warm me up for a match. But then, you know, she hits a really heavy ball. And, you know, once I start shanking a couple, then she's like, all right, time for you to get off the court. So I don't, I don't play with her too often, but uh, I do uh-huh. feed her balls quite a bit. Or I, I had uh, when I started working with her, I'm, I'm good at feeding. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, me too. Um, no, that's really cool. You've got to hit with her. And um, yeah, it's totally understandable. Like they're definitely different level from us, but uh, super cool. And um I was curious, you know, given your, obviously your background and your expertise, like what was the fitness like in college for you? Cause I remember when I played uh college tennis and uh, at UMBC, it was D one as well, but like a mid major. Um, I mean, we had, you know, like pretty consistent fitness sessions, but I feel like, you know, fitness has obviously evolved a lot and there's certain things that we did that I look back upon and now and think like, Oh, maybe we should have done that. Or maybe we should have done more. <laughs> so, uh, how is it uh, like for you while in college, then how is it maybe, um, you know, changed? Yeah. I mean, I think the weight room and fitness and strength and conditioning has always been a passion of mine. Like, um, after I finished college, I got my CSCS so that I could train and do strength and conditioning while I was in physical therapy school. And, um, my freshman year at Indiana, we actually were just doing like on court tennis specific type fitness. We weren't in the weight room or anything. And, there were quite a lot of injuries my freshman year. And it's something that I actually went to my coach myself and was like, we have this amazing weight room facility, you know, all the other teams are trained there. Like at the time I used uh, a gym for the athletes was the largest in the country. And I was like, we have this beautiful facility and we're not using it. And I mm. can just see the value of like us working on strength training. And so then from my sophomore year on, we started working with um, a strength and conditioning coach there as a team. And I just think it's so valuable um, for injury prevention to 
to work on the strength side, to do, you know, the conditioning to supplement, you know, the on-court training and skill development that we do in the sport. So it's really important to me. And it's also a huge part of now the way I practice as a physical therapist and definitely more exercise based than a lot of the manual skills that maybe traditionally were involved in physical therapy. And I mm-hmm. think there's a huge um, value to it. And so I really rely heavily on the strength and conditioning coach that works together with uh, Jen and me. And uh, we have a really good team and collaborative effort there. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, uh, such a go-getter too. I love that, you know, as a freshman, <laughs> just like, Hey, what's going on here? We got yeah. some stuff we can use. So I love it. Uh, Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. But um, yeah, you know, you mentioned exercise base as a big part of your practice. And I remember um, after I, uh, I think strained my calf, I, whatever I did to it, but I, I went to a PT um, uh, up North a bit. And then he had me doing a ton of uh, different exercises um, in addition to like some manual stuff that he did. But I, I found that just like, you know, you really need to br- build the strength back up and things like that to, to get fully um, healed and back to strength. So um, I'm glad that he's following, you know, <laughs> the, the, what's you, your philosophy as well. It's, it's important. Um, and then like, I guess you mentioned your injuries in, in uh, college, which is obviously rough. I think I had like a, like a wrist t- tendonitis or something like that. That was, that was annoying and had to do a lot of stim on it, I guess. But uh, what were a couple of the, like most impactful injuries uh, I'm curious to start. And then I have some follow-ups after that. Yeah, definitely. So actually it was when I was 12 years old, I had a a knee injury. I was out from tennis for about a year and in that whole experience and different various doctors visits and things like that, trying to figure out what was going on. I had one doctor tell me that I would never play tennis again. My competitive days were over and that was like a really pivotal, pivotal, like impactful point in my life. And, um, you know, at that point, obviously I went and saw other doctors for other opinions, but that was really crushing for me as a 12 year old to be told I couldn't play tennis again. Like that was my sport. I was all in on it. Um, thankfully I was able to find a doctor that helped me out. I, I started physical therapy at that point. Um, and at 12 years old, I decided I wanted to be a sports PT and I never changed my mind after that. Um, so going to college then, you know, I'm playing first couple of years and then I started developing some overuse injuries. Um, I started having shoulder pain my sophomore year and the whole conference season, I was kind of serving underhand, like couldn't really make it through matches Uh at that point. Um, tons of different, you know, doctor's visits at that point. And then that fall, actually underwent shoulder surgery. So then I knew I was going to miss pretty much the whole fall season. And then I started, I was training left-handed just so I could have reps and be on the court. I'd actually had some kind of overuse left wrist pain the same season, sophomore year, and then it got worse. And um, as I was trying to come back after my shoulder injury, um, you know, this wrist pain was, was worsening. And they found I had a, a tear in there and so recommended surgery. So I ended up having two surgeries my junior season and just completely oh. took the year as a wash. Um, so that was a really hard year for me, like identity wise, like being away from the sport. Um, I did some volunteer coaching with the teams so that helped out a lot, but it, that whole experience being out um, just really reaffirmed that I wanted to be a sports physical therapist and help other people maybe not have to go through the same experience I did bouncing around doctor's visits or 
um, you know, really getting good sports uh, rehab uh, to prevent some surgeries or things that maybe I wish I didn't have at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for taking us through that. I'm sure there's some painful memories, but, um, <laughs> you know, it became much stronger for it. And then, you know, it's like helpful with your career, obviously. So that you're doing so well. And, um, I guess with that, uh, what, um, I, I mean, you know, you being 12, I, this question probably doesn't apply, but, um, what are some things that you think you could have, you know, maybe you would tell your, your, um, past self, like that to have done like, you know, before the injury so that you would have, like maybe you had a less chance of getting them. Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of comes to the territory, like a little bit, like stuff is going to pop up. It's so uncertain, like when things happen, but being really prepared and having a good team around you is helpful. Um, maybe some of the things that I would look back now is like working with someone um, that really understands tennis and some of the biomechanics involved in different stroke mechanics. Um, a lot of the injuries that tennis players sustain are overuse in nature and develop over time. And so sometimes, you know, instead of just looking at like the specific, you know, body tissue or injury itself and looking at maybe how is this developed from a mechanics standpoint, would it be helpful? Like tweaking some mechanics on my serve uh, could have maybe avoided, you know, some of the repetitive, you know, strain or pain I was experiencing. And then the same thing with my two-handed backhand, the way that I, um, my preparation phase, my backhand, the way that I kind of dropped my wrist excessively was a lot mm. and maybe limiting some of that and, um, making some of those changes with my coaches before, you know, undergoing some of these surgeries and, and then also just like more robust uh, rehab and strengthening. I, I think that would have been helpful for me and looking at my whole body instead of just like, okay, strengthen the shoulder. It's like, what else could I be doing to like work on my, my core, my leg strength, where my power is coming from and my serve to help out with not just the, the arm itself. And so a lot of the work I've done since going through those experiences myself and being in PT school, like, um, you know, working with some, some doctors that are specialized in tennis medicine and putting out some of these resources for coaches to be like, Hey, like, you know, here's some stroke mechanic things to look out for when players start having pain and where you can kind of cue them or make tweaks in their um, biomechanics that won't necessarily impact their performance. I think that's really key. Yeah, that's, that's super insightful there. Um, I know that you completed a, a Kovacs Institute tennis serve biomechanics fellowship. So uh, Dr. Kovacs is awesome, obviously eight stage model of the serve and yeah, it makes a big difference. You know, obviously this, the stroke mechanics, like it on the serve, you know, you can't produce like a lot of power, like with just your, your arm, but then you're going to feel terrible. <laughs> and exactly. Get yeah. So that's a, so. kind of like the efficiency of the motion too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess as a follow up for the, the fellowship that you did, like what's maybe like one thing that you learned there that was, that was eye opening that you think like amateur players would benefit from? Yeah. I mean, Dr. Kovacs, he's a wealth of knowledge, like super grateful yeah. to have him in my corner. He's actually the one who introduced me to Jen. Um, oh, so, he's yeah, <laughs> so he's a great mentor and a colleague for me, but yeah, that experience was really, um, interesting for me. I, I helped when I was early in my career, um, as a physical therapist, just looking through some serve mechanics research. And, um, for me, I think, uh, there's a misconception and like kind of the rec adult recreational player of like, 
a lot of it comes from good arm strength, uh, your serve. And like you said, it's more, more specifically the loading phase of your serve where you can make a lot of positive changes in your performance, developing more power, um, being more efficient, and then maybe also reducing risk of some of those, you know, upper extremity injuries. We see a lot in the shoulder, the elbow, and the, the wrist in a tennis player at the recreation level. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a lot of important stuff. Um, like with me right now, I'm trying to load my back leg more. Um, you know, that definitely helps a lot with, with power and reducing like arm pain. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, and so let's see here in, in terms of like the amateur players specifically, I know you, you work with the, the big pros now, Kayla, but <laughs> I was wondering for, uh, amateur players, like what's the most typical injuries that like they usually get so I would say in the adult recreational player, yeah, thirty-five plus, we're we're gonna see a lot of um, tendon-related injuries, and so mm. those things happen mostly when there's a mismatch in um, the strength of those tendons and then the load forced upon them. So when there's big spikes in like your training or like practice volume or match play, let's say maybe for, you know, two to four weeks, you've played maybe once a week, and then you go and play a weekend tournament, you've got like three to five matches, like, that's when injuries are going to occur, because your body hasn't adapted to that, that amount of load. And when you ask it to in a short period of time, things start to break down. So Achilles tendonitis or like tendinopathy, um, patellar tendinopathy or knee pain, that sort of thing. We see like rotator cuff strains or um you know uh shoulder involvement in those athletes um and actually i have a resource for you if you want to share but um sure. i do a lot of work with uh dr janthy and he's with the emory tennis medicine program and he just he's put great. out adult tennis warm-up with some of the most common um injuries we see in our adult rec players it's a great resource and i can share the link yeah, I'd love to do uh, to share that. Thank you so much. And uh, Dr. Jayanti is awesome as well. Uh, obviously, I had him on my summit a couple of times and yeah, he's he's great. So yeah. I'd love to get that link from you later on and, and share it with the peeps. Um, so that would be great. And uh, I guess, you know, this may like seem like a, a dumb question, but I think it'll help the the, uh, you know, the audience. I'm full of dumb questions usually. But what uh, what's what's um, like what's what is a tendon? And then like, how can you actually strengthen that? Because I think when most people like go to the gym, they think like, Oh, I'm going to go and like strengthen my muscles, you know? Yeah. Muscles no, that's usually, a great but, question. Thanks yeah. for asking What's that. A, um, sure. <laughs> so the tendon is, uh, the portion of the muscle of the muscle that attaches it to the bone. So you've got muscle tissue and then it forms into a tendinous type structure, a little bit more ropey. And that's what attaches that muscle to the bone. And so those are the areas that um, can be more susceptible to injury or stress, especially like, um, you know, if you're not training, like running or jump, jumping or quick change of direction type power motions, then when you go on court and you ask your body to quickly run up to a short ball or, you know, jump up for an overhead and land, like those are the, the demand on those tendons is uh, usually what what becomes injured or um, can develop over time, you know, become painful because you're not uh, training those loads off outside of just playing tennis alone. So working plyometric training into your gym routine and um, uh, 
like really heavy, like strengthening exercises, like calf raises. I'd say, for example, for Achilles tendinopathy. So jumping, changing direction, your Achilles is what attaches at the, the bottom of your calf muscle to your heel. And so um, doing heavy loaded and slow uh, calf, like calf raises um, could be really helpful for you because then when you go and want to push off quick on the tennis court, that's the kind of force that's going to be applied to that area. Fantastic. Now this is, this is awesome. Um, And then in terms of like the plyometric training, like, is that just like the, f- well, yeah. Can you describe that? Is like the fast, yeah. like uh, movement stuff. Or... Yeah, quicker movements where more powerful explosive motion. So jumping, like, yeah. um, you know, just regular like squat jumps or practicing landing from like a, a box jump or, you know, stepping down mm-hmm. off a box and working on decelerating and, and landing mechanics. So I think after a certain age, a lot of people just stop jumping, right? As kids, you run and jump and you're moving a lot. And then as adults, like we lift weights in the gym, but it's like we don't really train athletically in the gym like you typically don't see someone like doing side to side bounding motions or um you know doing like single leg hopping skipping motions or um you know jumping and and rotating in the air just kind of playing with it and those are the kinds of like loads and demands that are helpful off the court that will will transfer to actual tennis movement as well yeah yeah that makes sense um appreciate that um Okay, a quick pause. Do you think you could actually try your earbuds? It's actually sounded perfect for like the first like whatever minutes, but then like the last maybe 20 seconds, I heard a little reflecting stuff. Oh, not yet. Oh, you may have to change the, um the, uh what is, yeah, like the microphone there. Okay. Might, like, it... Oh yeah, there we go. Fantastic. Okay. All right, sweet. Thank you so much. Um, Cool. So let's see. And well, this will be edited, so don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then a selfish question for you, Kayla. So um, I actually um, had pulled my, uh, or as I mentioned earlier, like strained my calf. So I guess for that and kind of, I guess, kind of maybe even just a review of like what you said, like if, if you pull your calf, like after you recover, obviously, would you, you'd recommend like maybe the ha- the uh, heavy strength and uh, like the, the calf raises with weight? Is that what you would kind of like recommend there? Yeah. I mean, I can't give specific medical advice, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, true. Like, you know, working with, um, you know, a physical therapist or medical professional to make sure you're cleared and able to return to sport would be important after you have an injury like that, but then progressive loading. So working on body weight, um, loading and calf raises, are you able to do that? Then can you add resistance to it and be able to tolerate that amount of load? And then are you able to progress then to more powerful movements, explosive or quick motions like jumping or uh, pushing off? And then when you're able to do that in like a linear fashion or straightforward, then can you do it laterally or with quick changes and uh, changing the direction and speed? And so there has to be some sort of linear progression before um, returning to tennis and asking your body to to respond in that way. And sometimes people want to go, you know, once they're cleared, quote unquote, from the doctor and they get that check mark of return to sport, there's actually a pretty important progression that has to occur between um, you know, that injury state and then progressing back to the demands of the sport. And 
um, injuries will recur if that phase is skipped completely and you just try to jump right back in. And so there are no shortcuts when it comes to rehab and having a good progression like that or working with someone, working with a strength coach that can help train those things or a physical therapist um, is really important. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent it is. And um, yeah, like you mentioned with like the tendons where like you, you know, you just reintroduce them like too quickly. Like I, uh, or maybe you're not doing the right things to strengthen them. Like I, I remember playing um, uh, a doubles match of, was it maybe like four or five months ago? And you know, my, my mind remembered like how quick I was. Um, uh, I love like sprinting around. So then I, I sprinted for a drop shot, but then like at the last step, like I kind of like pulled something in my groin. And so that was like very painful, <laughs> but, uh, it's just what you're talking about. You know, you really have to focus on your, um, uh, strength of your body and, and, um, mobility as well and all that stuff. Um, I think so you I guess, up, actually like another yeah. good point there if I can jump in, but yeah, it's like yeah. when you come back from an injury, so many people think of just training the injured area, but like other parts of your body now that you've been off for a period of time, they're also susceptible because they haven't been used to those loads. So some sort of progression is really important. And, um, you know, even this came up with, you know, working with a lot of athletes in the past, like um, that I worked with in my practice, it's training their whole body during that rehab stage and when they're off. So it's like, yes, we're rehabbing the injured area, but we're also incorporating the rest of the body in your training. So that way, when you go back, it's not like you've lost fitness or lost um, strength in those areas as well. Yeah, yeah. Another great point. Um, appreciate that, Kayla. And then uh, in terms of like foot pain, you know, I, again, this is a selfish question. I shouldn't ask all these <laughs> questions, but like it'll help others. So like I have been experiencing um, some heel pain recently in my left foot and actually like got um, this... Uh, let me see what this is called, like heal that pain or something. Like, I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's like, an insert. yeah, it's an in insert that like some of my friends have used um, in their shoe for like their heel to like, I guess, reduce like impact. But I guess in general, like, um, what are your thoughts on like, you know, tennis players developing like heel and foot pain and things like that? Like, you know, any common causes that maybe you've like, you know, seen in your athletes and like what, what to do? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think there's a lot of variables, right? And everyone's going to be pretty individualized. So seeking yeah. help from a specific healthcare provider is, is the number one thing I'd recommend. But um, I think some common things are uh, big spikes in training load or volume. Like I mentioned before, like it's such, people don't really think about it. They think, oh, I'm a generally healthy person. I can, you know, if I haven't played in like two weeks, I'll go play for three hours one day. And your body's uh, going to respond probably poorly to that because it's not used to that demand. And so looking at like your tournament schedule or your, you know, your practice load, if you, you know, have only been training five hours a week and the next week it's, you know, eight to 10, you're almost doubling your volume. That's when injuries start to occur or things um, can pop up. So I think that's probably the number one thing I would look at is incremental um progressions in your your workload or your training or practice volume um the other thing i see is when people start changing their footwear um you know or reintroduce like introducing a, a shoe without like a, a break-in period sometimes that can make subtle changes in the mechanics of the way your foot is contacting the ground or um, you know, how you're impacting when you're playing tennis. And so if you're going to have a footwear change, like uh, break them in gradually, 
Um, and also, you know, don't be changing what brand of shoes you're wearing like every few weeks because mm-hmm. your body's going to, um, you're not going to know like if your foot actually can, is adapting to it or if the change is making things worse at that point. Um, and then it's going to be, you know, just specific to your anatomy and physiology and how you move. Like, do you have um, compensations where maybe you're not able to move your foot in a the good way, uh, an appropriate way to push off or to have, you know, optimal loading through your hip, knee and ankle. Um, and that's where, you know, working with someone like a, a sports physical therapist or a strength conditioning coach that can look at your form and mechanics would be helpful. Um, so that way you can kind of like prevent those injuries from happening or catch them before you kind of have them pop up from just a mismatch in the way you're loading your, your foot and ankle. Yeah, I really appreciate that advice, Kayla. And so I guess, you know, one thing that amateurs struggle with is, you know, they, I, well, I guess most of them like just play tennis and then like the ones who like start getting serious are like, okay, like I need to, you know, add some workouts in and stuff like that. But then like also, you know, people maybe don't add the right exercises or they're not stretching enough or they're not doing like enough prehab. So I was wondering in particular, what's like an easy way to build prevention exercises into our routine like for amateur players what would you recommend yeah so you know obviously it'd be great if everyone could get in the gym and you know lift weights at like three times a week on top of their tennis but maybe that's not possible for everyone and um so taking exercises and building them into your warm-up and cool down routines and then just making being making it a habit of showing up early before you know you're not just rolling off from work and and coming up to the court and just starting to play right away um and you know taking 20 to 30 minutes if you can before a match or practice to actually go through a dynamic warm-up routine and then you can mix in some of your you know your calf raises your your lunges your single leg balance and like hip stability work a lot of this is in that um, the tennis 10 plus program that I'll share with you, uh, from Emory, but, um, it, people think like it's silly and it's, oh, what is, you know, 10 to 15 minutes or more before playing tennis going to do for me. But when you can work on those skills over time, um, it can help you develop more coordination and, and some strength with those movement patterns. And if you're going to do anything at all, I think that's kind of the low hanging fruit where, you know, if, if you can dedicate to show up a little bit early and, and do that work, it'll be really impactful over time and then cool down. Um, you know, everyone just wants to walk away, pack up, maybe go to the bar after and hang out a social yeah. hour, but um, <laughs> t- 10 minutes of just some dynamic stretching um, can help you with your recovery and then also uh, good recovery with hydration too, not just beers after, after play. Oh, <laughs> but um, uh, I think that's probably where people can, uh, an adult rack player can make the biggest impact. If you can't get in the weight room or you don't have a regular strength routine, um, really dedicating that extra, you know, 15, 20 minutes before you play and, um, incorporating some of the strengthening motions into your warm up routine, then you don't have to have a whole separate gym gym routine attached to it. That's really fantastic. Um, in terms of uh, you mentioned recovery, so like you know the stretching and whatnot. Um, 
does it make a difference, you know, how, how soon you do it after exercise? Like, I, I think I, I can remember uh, for sure, you know, a few times where, you know, played a match and then just like started talking to the opponents or whoever, and just like totally just blanked. And then, you know, the next morning I, I did it. So like, what, um, what's the impact there? You know, uh, it, does it still, is it as effective? Like if you stretch a few hours later the next day, or, you know, should you do it like immediately? Um, I think it, it probably depends too on like how intense your practice was or your match that day, but um, it is better to do it soon after playing when your body is still warm and you can actually cool down with some active movement by doing it. But, you know, if you're going to get it in the next day, that's better than not at all. But you generally want to do some kind of light active recovery right after, whether it's just walking around. I mean, at the pro level, you see everyone hop on a bike or something right when they get off the court, just to like get their heart rate down, get their body cooled down. But that's uh, when your muscles are still warm at that point after playing, it's probably the best um, time period to do some of that static stretching um, than when you're kind of cold and maybe stiffened up a bit later. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and Kayla, you mentioned drinking and I'm actually drinking right now, uh, water, but, um, (laughs) yeah, I tried to trick you there, but I was wondering, um, in, in terms of, (laughs) you know, like obviously there's these USC league matches and then, uh, people will, you know, have a drink and whatnot. Uh, I was wondering like the effects on, uh, you know, on your recovery, like from drinking, because like I, I have an aura ring that I use and, it's really uh, disheartening uh, because <laughs> even having like one drink like at night and then, you know, look at my data the next day and, and then it shows that my heartbeat was higher and, um, you know, uh, it, was it the HRV? Like it just like plummets down, uh, mm-hmm. down to the ground. So I was wondering, uh, you know, your thoughts on, you know, having a drink like afterwards and just, yeah, like any advice on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a great um probably a great question for like a sports uh, registered dietitian they they have a lot of resources on it but in general um yeah it's going to impact your sleep for sure like you said your heart rate will stay elevated your quality of sleep um goes down after having an alcoholic drink and then um you know drinking alcoholic beverages can impact your performance like over the next 72 hours up to a week even after just depending if you have like a binge drinking night out but um but yeah like it it is really impactful on recovery because then um once you have like one night of maybe not great sleep and recovery that can extend into your performance the next day and your body's just ability to recover over the next you know two three days yeah. Yeah. That's so supplementing with water as best, you, <laughs> as best you can. But again, like you're not really reversing the effects at that point. Oh, darn. Okay. Cause I like <laughs> to double fist with, you know, a beer and Pedialyte. Um, <laughs> you know, I was wondering if that would work, but sounds like maybe not as good, but, um, actually just kind of random question, uh, <laughs> building on this, this question I just had, but do you ever see pros like, you know, after a match or whatever, like do you just have like a drink or something? um personally no I mean I've we've probably all seen the press conference with like just Pagula drinking drinking a beer (laughs) after like just so that she can do uh, do her drug testing and get that going (laughs) but I think the hardest thing what I see more commonly is players when they get pulled for drug tests drug testing post-match is they they aren't able to go to the bathroom for like hours which blows my mind because then you know that's kind of a clear sign that 
they're already dehydrated at, at that point or not drinking enough, like in their match, if they don't need to go. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, anyway, I was going to say something, but it's TMI. Um, so in terms of, <laughs> um, in terms of your experience with, with Jen, uh, Jennifer Brady, obviously a great player, um, that you're with full time, which is so cool. Um, we were chatting before this, obviously, and I, I just, I learned that, but, um, What's been your role uh, with Jennifer first off? And then I have a ton of other questions. <laughs> yeah, of course. So um, I was introduced to Jennifer in uh, like February of this year through Mark Kovacs um, and started working with her full time in, in March. And at that point, she had been out from tennis for a couple of years. And so my role was coming in and, you know, intensive rehab, physical therapy, working with her every day. And, you know, it was, it was a long, they were long days. We were putting in a lot of time on the rehab side of things. Um, at that point, she had a coach helping her out at USTA, but sometimes when he was traveling for other tournaments, then my role also became feeding balls and helping run some, uh, some practice sessions where just getting her volume up back on court and, um, you know, progressing her volume with, you know, time on court, different strokes we were practicing, and then um, collaborating with the strength and conditioning coach, um, Richard Langford, who's with the USCA, and helping to um, kind of build up her, her fitness in addition to some of the rehab we were doing. Um, some modifications had to be made during that time, but basically since March, we probably had, you know, three to four months where it was a very rehab focused, uh, you know, return to tennis um, type of a focus. And then it was returned to competition level and, you know, match play, point play and progressions leading up to that. And obviously there are hiccups along the way, just like any sort of return to sport progression, you kind of expect that. And so then it's a lot of adapting, adjusting, modifying, and then, you know, back to making progressions as you can through that process. Gotcha. And when you say adjustments and modifying, like what were some of those that you all had to make? Yeah. So we kind of touched on this earlier, like when, you know, you're returning back to a high level of sport, other body areas that aren't not used to that sort of load or playing tennis, things can pop up. And so when things pop up or, you know, symptoms flare up then you kind of got have to backtrack a little bit and readjust, like, is it the training volume that's too much or, um, you know, is it too much time on court or too many repetitions of, you know, do we need to go from a, a half court to a three quarter court um, before going to a full court at that point? Are we just doing, you know, rally balls cross court or, or did we introduce live ball and maybe live ball was too much load? And so there's a lot of different factors that go into, uh, you know, those return to play progressions and then making adjustments to that. And then also, you know, did we introduce a new movement pattern in the in the weight room and was that tolerated well or do we need to modify that or, you know, was doing that in addition to tennis too much? So it's kind of like there are a lot of moving parts and um, now saying out loud, it sounds very confusing and, and difficult, but I think um, we had a really good team and all worked together and were able to help get her back to some competition level by the end of this summer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Awesome, Asmi Akuda, senior and, and the team. Um, I just uh, curious, did you all make any uh, equipment changes to Jennifer's? You know, like her racket or um, like strings, tension, uh, anything like that. Um, tennis specific wise, like with the racket, uh, no, like she's stayed with the same. I think the biggest thing was she had some lower extremity injuries. So looking at footwear was something Mm. we were, um, doing quite a bit and, you know, inserts, no inserts, um, different brands Mm. of tennis shoe. And, um, we were training on clay court, which, you know, training a different court surface can impact movement too. And, uh, so those were probably more of the other variables that we were considering through that process. Gotcha. Gotcha. Super cool. And then, um, in terms of a typical match prep day, uh, and actually I saw a a cool, like Instagram, uh, post that you did. I mean, they're all cool, but you know, (laughs) this particular one with, with Jen and like some, uh, I guess like training on the morning of, but I guess Mm -hmm. I'll get to that in a second, but just generally speaking, like what sorts of things does, uh, Jen do? And do you have, you know, your players do to, to prepare for matches? Yeah. So the day of a match, like tennis scheduling is so crazy to me because like sometimes the schedule can come out like late at night, you know, 10, 11 PM. And then you have to plan your next day based on that. And so it's, it's hard to plan, but I'll say in general, um, most players on a match day, um, you know, if they're playing in midday, you know, first on, um, you can better plan your schedule, but if you're, you know, second, third on, fourth on, and you're waiting around, you kind of have to guess and estimate like, what time am I going to go on? And and that can be a challenge, but, um, most players will want to do some sort of on-court warm-up or hit about 30 minutes. Um, if players need any sort of like manual therapy or treatment, they're going to, you know, bring, do that before they play along with their dynamic warm-up. Um, then the warm-up on court. And then you're just kind of playing the waiting game uh, until your match. And so players will typically, you know, if you're waiting on a court to finish, you'll wait till it's like, you know, that person's like in the second set and up maybe like three, have they have at least three games and then, you know, okay, maybe I've got like 20 minutes or so to warm up before that match starts. And so you'll start your warm up, and then, oh man, it went three sets. So now <laughs> we have to wait a little bit longer and then rewarm up again and do some dynamic movement. So that part can be a little challenging, but um, on a match day, that's kind of what preparation would look like. And then making sure that the athlete's getting a good solid meal and fuel in about a couple hours before you know, their projected match time. And then, you know, 30 minutes, 30 to 60 minutes before going on, they're getting good hydration and some sort of quick energy or carb type um, nutrition so that they're ready to go and play. Yeah, that's fantastic. And um, I know you're not like a dietitian or anything, but I was curious, like for, for hydration drinks, like, are there any particular ones that you, that you see around. I mean, I've talked to, you know, some experts about it and and some recommend like, you know, scratch or Cytomax or whatever. And then like some say like, Oh, you know, Gatorade is, is totally good. And so I was wondering, like, have you seen any that you, that you might recommend or just whatever, just see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll pass this to, um, there's a couple of really good sports, uh, dietitians that I follow. So Jessica, the sports RD on Instagram, mm. she puts out a lot of great hydration resources. And then, 
Riley Beattie um, is also a sports RD on Instagram, um, and she has some good resources and specifics there. But if you're doing in general, if you're doing, you know, exercise for just an hour, you can get away with, you know, just your your water and for hydration. But if you're doing vigorous exercise for more than that, then that's when you want to incorporate some sort of like carbohydrate in your drink, which is like a sugar um, and then electrolytes. So you can see things with like, you know, the different electrolyte packets that you can get liquid IV. I mean, other brands, people will use elements like element is great for the sodium um, replenishment, but it doesn't have the, that carb component. So right. um, making sure if you're doing vigorous exercise more than an hour, you've got those other things in addition to just your, your water. Um, but yeah, I would say if you're interested in learning more, I would definitely check out those two people. They put out a lot of really good sports specific um, nutrition resources. Awesome. Love the shout outs there. And so was Jessica, the sports RD and, uh, and then what was the what other one was Riley? What was it? Riley right. BD. Oh, BD. Okay. Yeah. Cool. B-E-A-T-T-Y. Oh, I'm glad you spelled, spelled that. Cause I just put B and D like, letters. Yeah. uh, okay, cool, cool. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Um, so yeah, onto the IG post that I was talking about. So I think it, it was a post about like working out the morning of a match day mm-hmm. when you have a late match. I was wondering, um, you know, how that might benefit players and then have some other follow-ups there as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that post specifically, she was probably going to go on court around 8 PM that night. Yeah, um, 30, I think. Yeah. And so what happens is you have like a high level athlete and they wake up around eight, nine AM and then you've got all day and you're either sitting at the hotel sure. all day long, you're <laughs> sitting on site all day long and you know, the body can just feel sluggish. And so it doesn't have to be an intense exercise, but getting her in the gym, um, it, you know, 30 to 45 minutes at most, like early on, you know, I like to say about, um, you know, 10 to 10 to 12 hours before that match time, just get the body moving, um, do some mobility work, um, do some activation type motions or some quick power movement just to get like the blood flowing, get a little bit of a sweat in can be good for the body. So that way by the time match time rolls around, you're not feeling sluggish and like you'd like, Oh, I've been sitting for 12 hours today. And it can just be good for them mentally too to be, get some movement in, in the morning and just feel kind of refreshed. Awesome. And then you mentioned the activation exercise, uh, it says uh, plural, sorry, but what is, <laughs> what is an activation exercise? Yeah, I guess that's kind of a bad term. Any exercise is going to activate muscle groups. Oh, okay. So, um, gotcha. yeah, it's just getting movement in, like um, you know, you know, big muscle groups, large movement patterns, total body, and um, you know, just getting feeling good at that point. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, it's super important. Um, and then uh, in terms of like just working at, on strength and and uh, and power and season, like I I know that you know, there's a lot of people who are very wary of like doing really any sort of like <laughs> work like that, just cause they feel like it'll affect their tennis. And obviously like, you know, if you, uh, you need to do some bench press and deadlift and then you go on the court tennis score, that's going to not feel that great. But like, uh, what are your thoughts and your advice on like how to maybe structure the strength and power workouts? Like when you're playing a lot of tennis. 
Yeah, I mean, when players are in season on the pro level, like when you're traveling and on the road, it's it's hard to maintain like a certain strength and conditioning program because your schedule is so different with match days, you know, travel days. So um, when you get the opportunity to still work on strength and power, I mean, I think that morning we still worked heavy strength, but the volume was a lot lower. So she's still getting some of that input and training. And like I said, we'll work closely with the strength coach at USTA and he'll help me you know, program with for us as well. But um, it's a big misconception for players that, oh, if I'm playing in season, I can't do my strength training because I'm going to be sore. But honestly, if you're sore, you're just doing the wrong strength training or not programming it in a way that's going to help you. Um, because when you're in season, the goal is to maintain your strength by continuing to um, work out and, and keep your fitness level up. If you stop cold turkey and you're just playing your sport, um, I, I don't think that's a great plan for you. Like you're going to have injuries pop up. Um, you know, you're not going to feel as strong necessarily. And so um, working in strengthening can still happen in season. It's just a different volume or intensity than like a preseason training session. And like, if you need help with that, like if you're playing at a high competitive level, I would really recommend hiring a strength and conditioning coach that can help program for you and look at if you are playing, you know, some competitive matches, like when would be a good time to ramp up your mm -hmm. training or when is it a good time to go more in maintenance mode with, with those things. Gotcha, Kayla. Yeah, but that's a really good principle that you mentioned, you know, just like, you know, if you're playing a lot of matches, like, you know, lower the volume, um, but still do something to to keep the strength up. And then like when you have a lull, then, you know, more intensity and whatnot volume. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, And uh, I guess with um, like the recovery, like routine, uh, what do you what are maybe like the two or three most important things that that amateur players you know, should be doing like, do they need, you know, would you say like, uh, like, uh, cold shower is like one of the vital ones or, I mean, like, what are the, a couple of the ones that are the most important? Um, so I'd say lowest hanging fruit, make it as easy as possible. You don't need all the fancy recovery devices and things like if you have access to it, great. But, um, in general, like, you know, a good cool down routine. So, um, just light active movement, walking around, get your heart rate to recover, maybe some deep breathing exercises to let your heart rate uh, come down, you know, if you're not going to like hop on the bike or something after. And then taking a good 10, 15 minutes if at, at the minimum of, of dynamic or sorry, static stretching where you're just doing, you know, holding stretches for you know, 30 seconds at a time, repeating it a couple of times throughout all your major body groups. Um, so that tennis 10 plus that we'll share would be probably the mm. most simple um, routine that you could do easiest to implement. You don't need a lot of equipment. Um, and then uh, recovering with good um, hydration and nutrition after if you're, you know, if you're playing long hours, like getting a good, um, you know, meal after like good carb protein sources. So that way your body and muscles can recover um, instead of, you know, not doing those things. And then you can get kind of in the weeds with ice baths, you know, compression boots, uh, game ready, you know, what have it. But um, if you're not doing the basics well, then you have no business looking into those types of uh, other, you know, modalities. And then sleep is really key 
getting good quality sleep at least eight hours, even as adults, if you think you can get run on six, it's just not true. Your body's not going to recover. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So light movement, stretching, uh, nutrition and hydration and sleep are like the Mm -hmm. pillars. Yeah. Those are the basics. If you can't do those well, then like you said, you don't have to look into all the flashy tools and things. (laughs) Yeah. Ice bath, one hour sleep. No food won't work. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not, it's not going to yeah. work out great. <laughs> yeah, I never tried it, but it's my thought and yours as well. Uh, glad for the backup. Uh, and then in terms of like kind of switching gears, I mean, it must have been just so thrilling for you. I mean, Jen did so well. And it's again, like, you know, like we talked about, um, she'd come through with after all the injuries and stuff. And now she's playing well. And uh US Open double semis and third round singles, I believe. Uh really awesome. So like how was just your experience overall, like at the open and watching her and and supporting and, and assisting and stuff like that? Yeah, I had an amazing open. Like um it's kind of taken me a while to reflect on it. It was also my first time ever at a US Open. Um, oh wow being a, a tennis player. What a and first a tennis time fan, like <laughs> yeah, my whole life. So it's funny, like the first day I got there, she practiced on ash with coco and so my first experience in ash stadium was walking a court level onto the court during fan week and uh it was like i kind of had to like play it cool like it wasn't like that cool for me but at the same time i'm looking up and uh it was pretty surreal to like just be there so like that to kick it kick off the couple weeks i was there like that was a pretty neat um experience and then i think for me just like you know, Jenny and I have been kind of grinding it out since March with, you know, her rehab. She's been out for so long um, to kind of have like a firsthand experience to kind of see like what she's been through and what she's overcome. Like with her winning that first round singles match and the way she like threw her arms up in the air and just how happy she looked, I think was probably the most gratifying experience for me. Like so much work went into that. A lot of people were involved and pro players they play tennis to be able to play slams like you know she had won some matches at tournaments before that in um, you know dc and and montreal but to win uh, at the slam level was and just to see her excitement i think that was probably like the the most gratifying and most exciting part of the whole trip for me so um pretty surreal experience it's great that they made semis and doubles and to just be yeah. on the grounds like a couple of days when we had off days, like I would make myself into like a quote unquote tennis fan and just like be on the grounds, like go watch, you know, some of the outer courts. And um, so that was pretty cool, especially my first time ever being there. Yeah, definitely. I'm so happy that you had that experience and uh, definitely we'll link your your IG so people can uh, check out uh, some of your posts on that. Um, had some fun ones. Um, you mentioned, you know, the most... Um, you know, satisfying uh, match, uh, you know, for Jennifer, um, the first match that she won there, but on singles, I think. But uh, how about like the most thrilling? Because I'm looking at these scores here and I see uh, three, three setters in a row. That's pretty, pretty fun. Uh, <laughs> so I was curious, like which one was maybe like the most either like thrilling or like nerve wracking. I mean, yeah, a lot of fun matches. Yeah. Um, no, that second round match against Lynette, like, I mean, she got moved to play on Louie like um on a night match that round so So that was 
yeah, it was cool. And it, you know, went through sides. It was tight match, but um, she was able to pull it out. And I think the atmosphere, like the the fans around there playing a night, an evening match there, um, I think that environment was probably maybe the most thrilling one of them all. And um, it, a lot of people keep uh, watched it on TV too, just because it was prime time. And so it was cool to just get a lot of texts and things from friends and family that were watching that one and, and cheering her on. And there's kind of a whole family of people since I had moved down to Florida to work with Jenny that they've all converted to tennis fans now because right. um, I've been there and uh, have been working with her and she, they've all seen kind of all the work that we've been doing. And so we've converted a lot of tennis fans and to see them having watch parties and like getting really into it was, was uh, really cool for that match. That's fantastic. Yeah. Good job converting them. Um, yeah. And, you know, 13 seeds that, that, uh, Jen uh, and her partner beat there. So good stuff. Um, and yeah, then to be unseated and, and make the semis again, it's, it's really amazing. Um, in terms of Jen, what, what, what do you admire the most about her? Um, she's an amazing tennis player. Like she's really good at tennis. And, um, I think just her competitive, spirit like um she's very stubborn and hard-headed when it comes to some things and that can be really challenging to work with but I think it's what what also makes her a really great competitor because um she'll stop at nothing and and wants she's determined to do whatever's possible to to be the best and to make this comeback and um you know reach all of her potential and so that's something that I really admire I mean for her to go um, two years out of the sport, literally like could not play tennis um, with what she was going through. Like, you know, a lot of people are still hitting here and there, you know, with when they have injuries, but literally could not train. I think the most admirable thing is despite how uncertain her comeback was going to be, like she still showed up every day and we had some really hard days. I'm not going to lie. Like we're showing up and, you know, putting in a session was tough, but, um, to see her come through it and, you know, to, to stay determined. And I think that's probably the most admirable thing and people won't really see that side of it. Um, like watching her come back now, kind of those behind the scenes moments where she could have easily chosen to kind of give up or, um, you know, be really discouraged to not want to like put in the work. So what do you think kept her going like because that's that's like really vital you know like for the consistency aspect because a lot of people like for one whether it's like laziness or um i don't know pain like they just they're like all right i'm taking a break <laughs> yeah but, um, what do you um, think kept her going honestly that's a really good question that's probably one i should ask her myself but um i think uh what's clear to me and if i had to guess is just her love for the game and and competing at a high level i think that's probably a big piece of it for her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think you're right there. And then uh, in terms of, you mentioned that, that, you know, obviously she's awesome, but like, you know, hard to work with, like in the terms of, uh, she's like, I guess some um, stubborn and hard headed, was it you said, but how, yeah. how do you, you know, th this is um important for coaches and maybe probably parents too, but like how, what's your strategy for um those types of folks? Uh, Like wh what do you do to be able to, you know, convince them to, to, you know, do what you, uh, suggest, because I, I know that like, um, was it, I forgot who mentioned it, but 
I guess like with Agassi, uh, yeah, Gil Reyes, he said that um, Agassi would always like ask him, like, why is he having him do something? So uh, I was wondering, like, yeah, what, what's your strategies there? Yeah, no, I love Denny. Like, she's great to work with. We get along really well. But um, I think this goes like with any coaching relationship, right? Like you have to we're both like we're humans first. And um, there is some, you know, there are some qualities like of adapting to someone's humanness or like what are their habits or behaviors how are they going to respond what motivates them and that's kind of how you have to um tailor your your interactions with them um and so this is true with jenny but also true of all the athletes that i've worked with in the past is creating buy-in like you said it's um making it important to them like why am i doing this and when you can translate that in a simple way of why it's important or why you're making that decision that day and you can show them like that there is a plan in place or a progression or reasoning behind why you're doing what you're doing. It builds trust with that person and then also like makes them confident in, you know, your role in helping them or, you know, that they're on track. And so um, I don't think it's one specific thing. I think if anything, it's um, recognizing and adjusting to whatever person you're working with and how they'll best respond or take feedback or what motivates them. And that's how you can um, kind of work together the best way and, and build trust in that relationship and move forward together. So um, we definitely had a lot of times where like we had to have hard conversations of like, I need this from you or um, like you need this from me and where can we adjust and make our relationship stronger, make our communication better. And so just like any relationship that works out, like communication is really key. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely love that. Um, so kind of switching gears a little bit, I'm wondering, um, you know, I don't know, like if you, if you read a lot or not, but I, sometimes I ask guests for like their favorite three favorite books that they would like gift to a friend to help them improve their game. So I was wondering if you have any books in mind and if not we can pivot to something else <laughs> yeah um improve your tennis game uh, i don't know i have a lot i've read more like recently like things for professional development like atomic habits mm. uh, oh that's good i think is a good one i i don't really have any that come to mind that are sports specific um or it could be anything like okay mentality or you know physical stuff like therapy yeah so uh, atomic habits i think was a really good one just simplifying routines yeah. and and habits becoming a more effective person and whatever you're doing and then um the go-giver i think was also a good one i read recently um mm -hmm. and just uh being open to giving freely and and then you know receiving can come from that on the back end but um yeah, I think those ones have been pretty impactful, especially like now transitioning into working in the professional side of the sport. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of people that go into it for the attention maybe you'll get or the people that you'll meet. But um, in my role, it's always going to be about the person and, and me helping them as best I can. And, you know, it's not about me at that point, like, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, true. Most definitely. Um, good stuff. Yeah, I'll link these books here that you mentioned. Um, yeah, and I've read Atomic Habits. Super good. Um, and then you've been the owner of the Athlete Connection um for a few years now. So I just wonder if you know if you want to shout that out or like uh you know explain like you know maybe how did you 
come up, uh, you know, with the company and, and uh, things like that? Yeah, of course. So uh, when I graduated from PT school, I started working just at a general outpatient orthopedic clinic. I got a lot of really good experience there, but was still unsettled at the end of the day. Um, mm. You know, 12-year-old me always wanted to be a sports physical therapist. And where I was working, I was working with a lot of general population, which I loved. I got a ton of good experience, but I wasn't seeing as many athletes as I maybe would have liked. Um, and just at that point, I was able to kind of pivot and open up my own practice. And so um, the athlete connection was born and kind of the mentality behind it was just that after all of my own personal trials through sports injuries, rehab, coming back, um, I think I bring kind of a unique perspective to then working with people that are maybe going through similar situations as me and um, being able to bring that perspective to the rehab process and kind of a, a mutual understanding, I think was unique to what I could provide for those athletes I worked with. And um, so I had my sports practice for like almost three years at that point and uh, worked with a lot of high school athletes, a lot of baseball, tennis, um, youth athlete. And then I got the itch. I wanted to see more tennis. So it's like, I was seeing a lot of, um, sports, but not as much tennis. And that's when I started looking at tour opportunities. And so been uh, fortunate enough to be able to switch gears into that and still work under my umbrella of the athlete connection. And, um, now offering services just in the tennis industry and I'm really enjoying it so far. Love it. Love it. That's, that's amazing. And so I, I know you mentioned your full time with, with Jen, but I was wondering, like, how can people like still work with you? And if so, like, how, you know, would they get in touch? Yeah, good question. So right now I'm not really set up um, to be able to work with like a lot of people, I think in the yeah. future, that's something I would like to do. But I was very full time with her that I just didn't really have the time and space. But I do see myself yeah um in the future you know opening up opportunities for virtual like consulting or mm -hmm. you know tennis specific resources and so um i see myself working on that kind of stuff in the near future cool awesome awesome and so uh one interesting question i ask my guests sometime at least i think it's interesting maybe it's not at all but <laughs> is like if you could put up um a billboard in like a hev heavily trafficked uh street near you um what would you say on it um, uh, one thing that I've kind of caught myself, um, saying a lot in the last year, it's kind of helped me through things is, um, uh, be grateful through it all. Like mm. in, in moments of trials or like challenges, you don't really see that things are working in your favor, but then months later you can kind of look back and see how going through that or facing that challenge or maybe suffering a little bit uh, was all part of your, your personal growth and, and helped you get through. And so um, the last year or so, you know, deciding to pivot away from my in-person practice, um, talking to different tennis players and not really finding a good fit that I really was excited about. And then Mark calling me about Jenny and, you know, just kind of all worked out from there. But um, all the stuff Jenny and I went through and challenges there and, you know, there's going to be more challenges in the future, but I think that's something I've always come back to is be grateful through it all. Definitely. I really love that one. And yeah, it's, it, you know, when I'm on court and I'm, I'm struggling, like, um, a lot of times I'll remember to be grateful and then like I instantly like play better, <laughs> just, you know, just like the positive, yeah, uh, vibes. let it go. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. So that's really good. Uh, any particular like, I don't know, socials or websites or any, you know anything you want to shout out for people to like check out? Yeah, for, so, for you. I mean, yeah. Maybe. Um, <laughs> uh, I think. Oh, it's for my personal stuff or well, it could be it could be both. I mean, definitely like your stuff. Oh, okay. Like maybe give us your socials and then any websites and then also if you had others, obviously you could feel free. <laughs> yeah. So my my uh Instagram is the at the athlete connection. Uh if you want to see all the good food places I go to and my dogs, that's probably where I'll get most of the content. Um I'm hoping to share more awesome. of the tennis travels, but I try to keep um, you know, her Jenny's life private on there it's, and, sure. and not shared too much. But um, if uh, you are a, a tennis coach, um, I would recommend looking into the Society for Tennis Medicine and Science. Um, I'm on the board for that uh, for that organization, and we're revamping it. And so, hoping to provide more resources um, for for healthcare professionals that work with tennis players, but then also kind of bringing some of the research and science to the coach level because that's where a lot of people can make a big impact with their players like we talked about early on with injury prevention um managing training and workload and so I think that'd be cool if if more coaches can get involved with our society um we actually have a a conference coming up in a couple weeks with free uh, virtual registration for coaches um and so that's something I would recommend checking out that's super cool. Uh, just making a note here. Uh, cool, cool. And then, um, so this question I asked uh, all my guests at the end, uh, and you've given us a lot of really great uh, tips and advice today, obviously, but what is one key tip that you can give us to help us uh, improve our tennis games? Yeah, so key tip would be, um, you know, doing some things to supplement your tennis for injury prevention. So I think you know, for your audience and adults, like or a recreational player, like um, uh, implementing a, a proper warm up and cool down routine and see how that starts to impact your performance. And then if you want to take it further, get in the weight room. I learned that as a college player and I learn it again and again as a rehab professional. Um, it can really help you out with your your performance, but also preventing some of the common injuries that we see in our tennis players. Got it. Love it. Thanks, Kayla. And then I just let you have a, have the floor for, for a bit. Like if there's any, anything else that, you know, maybe we miss that you want to uh, talk about or anything like that. <laughs> any last words, I guess. Um, I don't think I have anything. Like if anything was unclear, like maybe let me know and I can and help out with it. But um, I'm here as a resource and, and happy to help out. The tennis world is very small. A lot of people know everyone. So um, even though I'm not directly working with other players right now, I'm still happy to be a resource and I'm open if anyone um, wants to reach out. Awesome, Kayla. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's a lot of fun to speak with you and I uh, really learned a lot today, as I'm sure the audience uh, will too when they listen. So thanks again for coming on and hope to see you soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with Kayla. If you did, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the podcast at tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts with an S at the end. I just find that Apple Podcasts seems to be the best place to leave reviews because it propels a show 
to be more visible over the other platforms. But uh, leaving a review on any platform works for me. So um, appreciate your feedback there. Also want to leave you with a quote as I do at the end of every show. And this one is by, uh, sorry, (laughs) by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And Ralph said, with the past, I have nothing to do, nor with the future I live now. This is a really good quote in particular for tennis because uh, we really do want to try our best to live in the present when we're playing matches. We don't want to think about past mistakes. We don't want to think about future results. We just want to be there in the present, and that's how we'll be playing our best. So I really like this one. All right, with that, really appreciate you listening. Hope that you're uh, able to uh, practice what you've been learning on the podcast and uh, other platforms uh, and uh, just stay diligent and consistent with it and you will progress. So thanks for listening and I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is your host, Mirabhan Aranshad, signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.